Whoever you are, we welcome you. Wherever you come from, whomever you love, wherever you are on your journey, we welcome you. My name is Lisa Teal. I am a lay ministry candidate for the Unitarian Universalist Church of Kent. Joined today by worship associate Cal Fry, a host of musicians, including our music director, Hal Walker, musicians Margot Milsitich and Vanessa Vesley, and our very own UU Peace Choir, and our director of religious education, Colleen Taylor. This is the joyful point of the return of spring, the time when, of seed when life bursts from the earth and the grip of winter is lost. Light and dark are equal and in balance, and all the elements come into harmony. We receive the light of the sun in the blue of the sky, the white moon amongst the stars, the green of the earth, the mystery of the waters, the desires of the heart, and the will of the self. All comes from these and returns to them through passing days and throughout eternity. Of the 
remember those shop for some yoga clothes. Share a gift certificate from the yoga place in town, and we'll spread the word of yoga to the world. We'll try to survive on the alms from above. Shine the living light of peace and love. Shine the living light of love. Asana and pranayama. Balance and This week, The Nation, or Facebook at least, was taken with an amazing image. Not a politician, not an altercation, not negative at all, unless you happen to get too close. The news isn't always bad. Using eight telescopes scattered from Greenland to Antarctica as one large array, a worldwide team of researchers produced an image of the event horizon of an enormous black hole, one the size of our solar system and located at the center of a galaxy 55 million light years distant. Just 100 years ago, such an object was unknown, undreamed of. The mathematics were just then being worked out, although this particular Easter egg remained hidden within the math for some time afterwards. We did that. A batch of monkeys living on a pale blue dot worked out some math and said, huh, what a strange thing. I wonder if it's real. And then sat down to figure out how to see one, a big one, one unimaginably far away. What a wonderful thing. My mind is in awe and my heart sings. We did that. And then we made a cat photo out of it, cause Facebook. Come, friends, let us worship together.
Please join me in a moment of silent meditation. I invite you to close your eyes or look softly downward, putting both feet on the floor. And with your mind's eye, just get a sense of your heart center. And imagine as though you're inhaling from your heart up to your head and exhaling from your head and down to your heart. Inhaling heart to head, exhaling head to heart. If it's helpful, you can use your hands to help you feel those two places. And I'll leave you in silence for a few moments of this practice. Begin to deepen that breath. And blink the eyes with your breath. Slightly open on the inhale, closed on the exhale. And we'll return our awareness to the room when you're ready. Let us enter a moment of prayer together. Just as we share in the very breath of life, we share in these joys and concerns, our common humanity. May we all truly feel the protection of the oneness that we share. May the energy of that oneness grow in us. And may our learning and our personal growth shine on our faces. Amen. praising. But a cynic said, so, I have heard you calling out, but have you ever gotten any response? The man had no answer to that. He quit praying and fell into a confused sleep. He dreamed he saw Kidra, the guide of souls, in a thick green foliage. Why did you stop praising? Because I've never heard anything back. This longing you express is the return message. The grief you cry out from draws you toward union. Your pure sadness that wants help is the secret cup.
Listen to the moan of a dog for its master. That whining is the connection. There are love dogs no one knows the names of. Give your life to be one of them. I've had dreams where I was nothing but a floating head. A large part of my longtime spiritual practice has involved finding a way to anchor that floating head to my heart. Raised in an environment of nearly 100% head, a lot of energy was spent on avoiding feeling. Anytime even a slight tone of seriousness would slip into the room, someone would quickly make an awkward joke and get us all back up into our heads where it was safe, where it was more controllable. From the outside, it might have appeared like a lot of fun-loving teasing and laughter, and some of it indeed was. But there is an overriding habit and training of avoidance of the heart. I can recall one vivid childhood memory when someone from my family was informing me of the death of my great aunt to whom I was incredibly close. And I remember this terrible contrast between how I felt inside and the way in which the news was delivered to me in such a matter-of-fact way. And I remember thinking to my very young self, oh, we don't cry about this. We make the necessary plans and just move on. Ah. Another extended family member had a beloved pet die when I was young, and there was a statement made of such complete finality. That's it, no more pets. And the sentiment was echoed by others in the room. Yeah, it's too hard. Why put yourself through that? I was unconsciously but continually groomed for a life of headiness. And any time I started to feel even the slightest bit of gravity, this voice inside my head would say, escape up, escape up. Get back to the head, be safe. It's no surprise that I found a very heady career for myself as a highly analytical research writer. Hours upon hours spent thinking and just being in my head exactly where I'm comfortable. Over the years, I've had many people share stories of their pain and grief with me, and I've caught myself more times than I could ever count, saying something in an effort to block the feeling, both for myself as well as for them, something like, oh, it'll be fine, time heals all wounds, or trying to fix it with, I'm sure there's something that can be done, and all the time repeating my subtle internal mantra, escape up, escape up. Don't get me wrong, the head is not all bad. I really do love the analytical work that I do. I love thinking and researching and analyzing and problem solving. The head is great, as long as it's treated as a component of our wholeness. But it was more than a component for me. I felt like a floating head. The head is where we craft ideas and shape our stories and our roles. 
where we can work on how we want to present our polished selves to the world. It's where we ruminate, criticize, judge, and second guess ourselves. Why is it so tempting and so much easier to be in the head? Well, first of all, most obviously, feeling hurts. And the head is a great means of distancing us from the hurt or the potential hurt. Not just sadness or grief, but discomfort or lack or even the longing expressed so exquisitely in Rumi's poem that Cal read earlier. And we all do have our heart armor for a reason. And sometimes it's not the safest thing to drop these protective layers. Maybe we aren't ready. Science teaches us that humans have a real biological need to fit in, like in the Stripes book. One researcher, Dean Burnett, wrote in his book, Idiot Brain, in the wild, if you're rejected, you'll die pretty quickly. So we are ultra aware of people's judgments. With this lens, perhaps spending a lot of time in our heads and polishing our roles for presenting ourselves to a potential tribe is biologically driven. It's about survival. And to get a sense of this, it might be helpful to think of moments of awkward silences you might have had with somebody you wanted to get to know better. And think of how you may have tried to fill that silence. Most likely it's the head that jumps to the task, cleverly trying to find ways to say just the right thing. But what are the rewards of the heart? What does that mean and is it even worth it? Maybe life as a floating head isn't such a bad idea. So you can join us once you figure this song out. Let the way of the heart, 
At the most practical level, living from the heart means feeling. And feelings are useful. They inform decisions. Emotions are data, information. There's a wonderful PBS series called The Secret Life of the Brain that highlights the story of a man who had a stroke that left damage in his brain that cut him off from his emotions. He found it pretty much impossible to make any decisions. And there's this real palpable scene where he agonizes over something as simple as selecting a birthday card for his wife. He just cannot do it. And I also wonder if the heart is responsible for our relationships with music. I'm sure somebody could merely study rhythm and technique and be very intellectual about it. But for me, there's this ineffable warmth I get when listening to a super sweet melody, like that choir piece this morning with those swells that you just can't help but feel in your heart. It reminds me of this Martin Luther King Jr. quote, Occasionally in life, there are these moments of unutterable fulfillment, which cannot be explained by those symbols called words. Their meanings can only be articulated by the inaudible language of the heart. Living from the heart means embracing the wholeness of the living experience. Susan David, a psychologist and researcher, writes in her book, Emotional Agility, that people push aside emotions to embrace a phony positivity because they don't ever want to feel sadness or grief, and they assume nobody else does either. David says that these people have dead people goals. (laughs) To be living means to feel it all, to be more of a full participant in this complex world of the living. Heart-centered living keeps me honest, authentic, and real. The head is more likely to lie in doubt. In the heart is truth. And truth is a necessary component for any spiritual path. You must know clearly who and where you are. Otherwise, you will only prolong your journey. But what's most powerful for me in learning the way of the heart is the feeling of presence that I never had in the head. The head is likely to have a constant chatter of distracting thoughts taking you from past to future in the blink of an eye, whereas the heart is the key to the present. One of my favorite writers, Omid Safi, writes, presence is having your heart be where your feet are. Plus, living in the present means less stress, more peace. It is, in fact, the place where peace can be found and not the kind of peace we feel in our heads when everything is going exactly right but a true, deep, honest tranquility. And in the present, there's infinitely more beauty and richness of experience. And some of that richness means connection with others. Here's a funny irony. We think with our heads and try to fit in and be accepted by a group, yet it's living authentically from the heart where we can truly connect with others, being vulnerable and sharing the human experience. When we connect with our own heart, we begin to first see our own selves. And it is only in seeing ourselves that we are then able to see others and forge deep, true friendships. I wonder if this has anything to do with the physical heart. It is said that the electromagnetic field of the heart is 5,000 times stronger than that of the brain and extends several yards in all directions. And perhaps that electromagnetic field is amplified in heart-centered living and maybe these fields interact with each other. 
I can't cite a specific date when I began more heart-based living, and in fact, I'm sure there's a lot of vacillating still. But I've been committed to this path for a couple of decades, and that's why I was so surprised when I found myself falling back into these strong old patterns recently. Two summers ago, I attended SI, or Summer Institute, or anybody here who's not familiar with that, it's a week-long regional UU summer camp. I was teaching a workshop for the week, so on day one, I got up early and began preparing my material when I received an early morning phone call from my husband. My 16-year-old canine companion had died that morning. I immediately did what any rational person would do. I pulled it all together, went and taught my workshop, and got stuck in this mode of everything's fine with a friendly smile plastered on my face. I went about my day attending all my favorite parts of SI, including Sonus's sacred song circle. And at one point, she began to guide us all in kumbaya, which has always been a real moving favorite of mine. But in this setting in particular, you know, with all these people so truly singing from deep within their hearts, I was suddenly thrust down into my own heart and the tears began streaming. I cleared my throat and went for a drink of water, (laughs) coming back again as if nothing were wrong. And here I was at this retreat with many supportive, loving people, and I just could not bring myself to reach out for help, be vulnerable, and show my true heart. I was playing a role that was crafted in my head, and this continued for a while until this fortuitous moment of, you might say, divine intervention. I was walking with a friend, and somebody came up and asked my friend how her dog was. And of all things, she told him that she had to put the dog down. I could no longer pretend and burst into some public tears. And this was my opening. In response, I was flooded with loving support from this community, and I spent the rest of the week honestly addressing how I felt, being authentic with myself and, therefore, authentic with others. There's no substitute for this type of deep connection and honesty. It's not easy, apparently. (laughs) This is a persistent practice of mine. In fact, this service right here is a continuation of that work that I'm doing and finding the way of the heart and sharing my authentic self. I want to close with these words from the poet Nejwa Zebian. To the heart in you, Don't be afraid to feel. To the sun in you, don't be afraid to shine. To the love in you, don't be afraid to heal. To the ocean in you, don't be afraid to rage. To the silence in you, don't be afraid to break. Amen. Om Shanti. Let us take a little moment of silent reflection. Collins says, we give to remind ourselves how many gifts we have to offer. We give to remember that we are part of something bigger than ourselves. We give because we believe in music, love, and sacred space. We give with the faith that together we have enough. This congregation thrives because each of you believe in music, love, and sacred space, and you all so generously give of your time, your talents, 
your gifts, and yes, your financial resources. Thank you. Knowing that together we do have enough, we now give and receive the offering as a sign of our shared commitment to the life and work of this congregation and beyond. Will the ushers please come forward? Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly creeping left the seeds while I was sleeping. And the vision that was planted in my brain still remains within the sound of silence. In restless dreams I walked alone, narrow streets of cobblestone. Neath the halo of a street lamp, I turned my collar to the cold and damp. When my eyes were stabbed by the flash of a neon light That split the night and touched the sound of silence And in the naked light I saw Ten thousand people, maybe more People talking without speaking People hearing without listening writing songs that voices never share no one dared disturb the sound of silence fools I said I you do not know silence like a cramp cancer grows hear my words that I might teach you Take my arms that I might reach you But my words like silent raindrops fell And echoed in the wells of silence And the people bowed and prayed To the neon god they made And the sign flashed out its warning in the words that it was forming And the sign said the words of the prophets Are written on the subway walls And tenement halls And whispered in the sounds of silence
May the longtime sun shine upon you. All love surround you, and the pure light within guide your way on. Amen.